Yo, Big D back with another uh, episode. Before I bring in the night special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. Taking a break, yes, from Masters Week, but uh, I've already got a couple, at least one, and more on the way. Also, check out the Big D podcast for audio, audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, um, anytime I need a weather answer i go to one man and one man in particular that must be my friend dennis mickelson so dennis welcome back always a pleasure to be on with you dylan thank you so uh, obviously as obviously as many people who are who are from or living in or temporarily living in southwest florida i I don't know the correct terminology with all these (laughs) snowbirds around here but uh, (laughs) but um south but uh hurricane ian hit a little more than six months ago and um dennis as you found as we all found out yesterday the national hurricane center upgraded hurricane Ian briefly to a category five hurricane before it ultimately hit as a cat four with 150 mile an hour winds so were you ultimately surprised the hurricane center upgraded Ian to a cat five not really um when we saw the level of devastation that we had along that Florida coast. Um, You know, sometimes hurricanes, we kind of worry so much about a cat three, a cat four, a cat five, a cat three hurricane moving at a good clip is going to make some devastating damage. Uh, You know, just because it's a cat three is no reason to ever, ever ignore it. But, the, the level of devastation that we saw, it, it didn't make any sense that it was less than a five, I guess is the way I would put it. Um, but it was the speed of this storm as well as the, the size and all of the dynamics that were going around around it. It was just an impressive storm to see. And I remember when I when I told you about things, the first thing I said is I'm worried about this one because it's it's a very unusual storm the way it was already acting. And that was long before it got up to Florida. So um, the the weirdest thing about hurricanes is they can take on a little life of their own. And as long as they stay over enough open water, they just keep intensifying until they hit landfall. And that development at the end can be really, really impressive. Yeah, thinking back to Hurricane Ian, it, every computer model I saw showed Ian was going to become a major Cat 3, Cat 4 hurricane. And all of a sudden, like that Monday and Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning before it hit, it went from like, it went from like a 3 to a Cat 4, Cat 5, and then I'm like, oh, you kidding me? Because I was in Southwest Florida, when Hurricane Charlie hit in two thousand four, and I was like, I, I never, I didn't think a stronger Cat Four hurricane could hit the same area. Well, guess what? Hurricane Ian came around, and not only was it was it as strong, if not stronger, but it was 
much, much bigger and moved about a third of what Charlie moved. Because when Charlie bounced off Sanibel, hit Captiva, and then raced to Punta Gorda and Fort Charlotte, Charlotte Harbor, it was moving at 20 miles an hour. So yeah. but by the time Ian slowly made its way here, it was towards southwest forward. It was moving, what, six miles an hour. Yeah, and what and the forward speed at the very end, right before it hit land, sort of gets distorted because what the storm does is it keeps filling that eye wall to stay over the ocean. It see it continues to redevelop and redevelop and keep itself out over that ocean. And that's what we saw with that one. But what really impressed me was the storm surge from this storm. It was like it, with the storm speed. Uh, being what it was, it acted like a giant squeegee, just moving a lot of ocean right in front of it in an area that probably could take that less well than just about anywhere else along the coast of Florida. Um, the the one island there just got totally decimated because it, it just got overrun completely. Um, and with the slow speed, it got overrun for a long time. It was like the the entire cycle of that high tide. You were facing a storm surge that was incredible to go with a bad tide timing, if you will. So it was like the worst of all worlds that could possibly pile up. And, you know, that when that happens, it's just it, it, you just worry about what you're going to see when, you know, the water recedes. And some of those folks real close to the land, um, you know, that was or close to the ocean, I should say, and out on the island, um, they got to see for the first time in many of their lifetimes down in Florida um, what storm surge is all about, because that's. That is the most devastating part of a hurricane. It's also one of the most difficult parts of the forecast. Um, and what you saw with this storm was classic, where the more it got sampled by the hurricane hunters, the more we dropped instrumentation into the storm itself, the more the hurricane-related models, forecast models, could pick up on the little nuances of development and the they started zeroing in on on the the speed, the strength, and everything a lot better than you know when you don't have that data, it's it's just guessing at what a what a hurricane's going to be because it's such an abnormal storm, and the hurricane models for the most part are only good for very short range forecasting because there's so much going on with those storms versus like a typical the gfs or the nam model where they're good out to to 10 days 15 days 21 days in the case of gfs um on the general trends but they're not going to nail this storm strength with a hurricane yeah i mean because as a native south as a native fluorian i mean uh hurricane charlie yeah it produced some surge but nowhere near the storm surge of being wilma Really wasn't a surge maker unless you were in Collier County. Hurricane Irma, yeah, was a major, a capful hurricane and which devastated the Keys. But when it got to Southwest Florida, 
A, it was already weakening or going through a weakening phase, and B, it went the one path, which didn't produce any surge. Ian basically produced surge everywhere, no matter if you were in North Naples, Sterile Island, Times Square, or in Charlotte Hall. But like uh, I've I've seen like 10, 15, maybe even higher feet of storm surge. And what my greatest fear isn't any hurricane is for the people who didn't evacuate on the barrier islands. Because yes, you could potentially, in a Cat 4, Cat 5 hurricane, you can experience winds 150, 160 miles an hour. Trust me, I know what the people in Panama, on Panama City and Mexico Beach went through with Hurricane Michael. But we can survive winds that strong. Uh, you're not going to survive a 160-mile-an-hour hurricane if you're, if you're or in a surge-prone area. Because if you're five feet above sea level and there's a 12-foot storm surge, uh, you've got a problem. One thing that this storm did that was very unusual is typically when a storm is going to be making some landfall like this one did down in Cuba, it usually will not regenerate stronger than what it was when it first encountered land. So this storm did a bunch of things that were very unusual. And, you know, but that's the nature of these beasts. They're they're their own little systems, their own little world um, contained in these hurricanes. And that's what makes them so difficult to forecast. The And, you know, you can only be off by a very short amount because... Uh, you know the devastation with this one was a was a pretty decent sized path north to south but it wasn't you know if, if you're off by 40 miles with a hurricane forecast that's the difference between death and destruction and just damage and that's why people when they're in those flood prone areas especially along the coast they got to move if that if there's if it's going to come anywhere close to you and you're out on the barrier islands, you got to get out. It's There's just no way. And you can't wait until the last minute because if you wait too long, you're going to be stuck traveling in these things. And that's when you're vulnerable to the wind as well. Yeah, I've got a Yeah, I've got a friend who walks who uh, we walked swing train again in his house. And uh, there was uh, at least a foot, if not more, of storm surge inside his home yeah yeah it's it's incredible what these storms are capable of so ultimately uh, why do you think more people do not refuse to evacuate particularly barrier islands before a major hurricane because everybody says get out get out you can't get out you're in a mandatory evacuation the public the police pull out, pull everybody out of that area. EMS won't respond. The mean, the television weather, all the weather reporters say, "Get out, get the bleep out of there." But why do people not leave? Do they think that a I'm safe? Do they think b the storm's not going to hit here, or c if the storm's going to hit here, it's not going to be that bad? 
Um, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One, I will say that in the meteorology business, we might tend to overwarn a little bit. I was going to say, I I was going to say, I think in a few storms, I'm not going to mention which ones, but a few of the meteorologists I've listened to have overworn and have overworn and said, you know, uh, I can remember what storm was it, Hurricane Ike, where basically if anybody didn't evacuate uh, Galveston, Texas, it was called certain death. Yeah. And, and I think when you see the overwarning, you see the over dramatics, and then you don't see anything happen. Because in weather, you're talking, I mean, maybe this is why I love fantasy football so much, Big D, because there's such a relationship between making a weather forecast and making a fantasy football forecast. They're all range of outcomes. Okay. So, your range of outcome in a hurricane like this, if you live in an exposed area, the difference is losing your screen door versus losing your life. And it it only needs to be the difference of about 20 miles on that track. So I think people who hunker down or they leave or whatever, and then the storm tracks 20 miles away from them and they come back. And, you know, it's a hassle to evacuate. You got a lot of things that you got to do to evacuate. You evacuate, you come back and there was no damage or there was just a screen door pulled off or, you know, a couple of your pool chairs are in the pool or whatever. Something minor like that happens. You don't have that mentality of, oh, I got lucky. You have the mentality of, ah, those weather forecasters, they're already always wrong. With a hurricane, even the best hurricane forecasters leave themselves a 40 to 50 mile out on either side of the track, even short term, because these storms can jog, they can do little dipsy doodles, they can run into wind patterns that you're not really even sure are there that you're just inferring might be there. And you can see this change of of motion at the last minute. You can have a big change and miss by 40 miles, 36 hours out. Now, I will say with this storm, the National Weather Service Forecast Center, once they got the data and they were about two days out, they were pretty darn close to where that storm hit intensity they were light but the track was fairly good if you know how to grade tracks okay you got to look at this from the standpoint of um a meteorological hit and if you're within 40 miles a couple of days out to me that is fantastic forecasting uh with a hurricane with a snowstorm in the Midwest, if I'm off by 40 miles, I'm very unhappy with myself on that track two days out. But with a hurricane, it's just like dealing with tornadoes this time of the year for us folks up north. If you are in an area of the potential of a tornado warning, you better take cover every single time 
even though your chances, if you're in that warning area, the chances of you personally getting hit might be fairly small. But the difference between a miss and a hit is the difference between life and death. And it's the same thing with these hurricanes. That's why if you're inland off the coast a little bit, if storm surge isn't your problem with hurricanes and you've got a safe building to be in and you can shelter, that's that's usually the best strategy to go. But if you're on a barrier island, you are just begging for trouble if you don't bug out every time a hurricane's going to come within 50 miles of you. Well, that's why, well, that's why we live inland because I am not living, I am, I'm not living on the coast. The only way I would live somewhere near the water is if basically I made a hurricane proof house where like this <laughs> level is like 30 feet. And I'm like, this, her, this house is not going away. No matter if you get <laughs> a hurricane coming over here. Yeah, my my sister lives up the coast. Both of my sisters live up the coast. One is in Ruskin, and she's a lot closer to the bay than my other sister, who's inland a little ways. We had, even with the uncertainty there, we had her bug out and go to the other sister's place. We didn't have them bug out like we did a few years ago with a storm. We had both of the sisters bug out and drive all the way north, and they spent the the weekend up in up in the uh up in central illinois they got way away from that storm and went and visited family but you know this was one where they could just stay put just don't be as close to the coast and my other uh my older sister is in an older building which is not as stout to stand up to the winds so three days out we told her go Go visit your sister for a couple of days because this thing is going to be very hard to predict. I think it's going to stay south of you, but I'd feel a, I'll sleep a lot better if you're sleeping at Sis's house for a couple of days because it just you just don't want to flirt with disaster with these hurricanes. They're they're just too intense, um, and that's why they're they're so dangerous. When you see the path, you know. We see paths from tornadoes, and it might be a mile wide that it takes out a stretch of stuff. With a hurricane, you can be 10, 15 miles, maybe 20 miles north to south with that storm surge with the wrong kind of hurricane. So you need to be on the safer side of things if you're living on the coast. Hey, it's beautiful to live on the coast, but there's a reason we didn't see development in all of the coastal areas uh, until more recent times when the government was paying for us to repair. Because when it was private insurance, they wouldn't insure that property. And now, you know, with help from the government with, with stuff, they're, we're taking risks that we probably shouldn't. The same thing happened with Katrina uh, down in New Orleans. The main part of New Orleans that had been the old part of New Orleans, stayed high and dry. It was the newer sectors where they thought they could outsmart Mother Nature, where the levees went, and those got flooded out. So it's it, we sometimes are our own worst enemy by some of the places that we build because it's, yeah, it's once every 20 years, once every 30 years for different parts of Florida. 
but that one time it hits is going to be serious. Uh, I've got a question. Where does Hurricane Ian rank on the list of worst hurricanes to ever hit Florida? Because, you know me, I am a hurricane geek. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just a sports geek. I'm a hurricane geek. One of my projects as a young and was do was like track all the hurricanes that ever had Florida Florida so I did like all the ones even back to the 1800s until like 2004 2005 but where does Ian rank on the worst hurricane seven in Florida because I think of the Labor Day hurricane in the Keys Andrew Horse South Miami yeah. the Great Miami Hurricane 26 uh, the Palm 1928, the Forgotten Hurricane Palm Beach. Yeah, here's here's the thing with hurricanes is it's sometimes hard to rank the damage because there's been so much more development in Florida since the 1920s. I I can attest because I didn't. Yeah, because I didn't think TikTok was around in 1926. <laughs> but. I would say that as far as pure hurricane strength and what it did, what it was able to do over a wider swath of of, of land, I'd say Andrew still gets the nod for me in modern hurricanes. Um, I'm sure there have been some that hit long before Florida was really a popular place to live. But Ian, on the dollar figure, I'm sure outdid everything that's ever been because it hit a very nice part of Florida that has had great development in recent years because they've had great development because they've historically not been bothered by hurricanes as much. Um, but we're learning that that is uh, maybe not going to be the case going forward. Uh, hurricanes, are cyclical like everything in weather, and they're also very unpredictable. Um, there are certain paths we know they're not likely to take. That's why Tampa's always been pretty safe. Tampa is the is probably one every sixty years. They they would have uh, a decent sized hurricane get close enough to cause them major problems. Up in the Panhandle, they get them more often than Tampa. And Southwest Florida doesn't get them as often as some parts of Florida would on the East Coast. But when you get the hurricanes, I think they tend to be a lot stronger. Uh, you don't get a lot of ordinary hurricanes hitting you there on that side of Florida. Yeah, we don't get we don't get the Cat One eighty mile. We don't get hurricane the no. coast. When we get hurricanes, they'll they'll be. Yeah, it, because to get a hurricane up to that spot and to turn to hit that part of the coast, it really takes some some special weather patterns where you can't have a lot of shear. You know, to get a major hurricane to hit there, you can't have a lot of shear and you have to have really weak flow. And that is very rare. Uh, that you know, usually you get a frontal boundary that'll come through to about Tampa, which is why they're sort of protected. And that 
that will hit more on the southwest side of Florida. The the smaller storms will go to Sanibel Island and point south, or they'll just brush the keys or do something like that. Whereas these major storms, when you get them, like when you get a storm, it's going to be a major storm. Because if it's really weak, it's going to stay out, probably wander north and hit the panhandle or turn south of Sanibel and just clip South Florida. If For this pattern to be happening, and that's why it's so rare, um, but it, it's got to be a big storm. And one of the reasons is these big storms sort of turn themselves over time. If the flow is really weak, a storm tends to turn to the right as it gets stronger and stronger. And so it turns to the right of the flow. And in that case, it comes up and gets you. But it's just hurricanes are fascinating because they are so unpredictable. One little change in the atmosphere and the, the pattern change can be the difference of 150 miles on where it hits along the coast. It's That's what makes hurricane forecasting so challenging because as the storm is moving north out of the tropical areas or it's moving across from Africa towards the east side of the uh, of Florida, the weather pattern is also changing at that same time. So you've got this big truck of a storm heading towards you, but you got the traffic changing as you, as it comes. And the, uh, the, di- the dynamic pattern, the diurnal, well, the dynamic synoptic pattern of the atmosphere is what helps steer these things at the last minute as they move north. So ultimately, what would happen if a Cat 4, heaven knows, the Cat 5 hurricane hit Tampa or Miami? Because Miami has been hit by a major storm in, in since 1926 and Tampa since 1921. There was no reason meteorologically why Andrew chose to miss the bulk of Miami. It could have just as easily hit Miami as it hit Homestead. There was really nothing meteorologically to say that that shouldn't happen someday. Hitting Tampa takes a lot more work. You've got to get a whole lot more unlucky to hit the Tampa-St. Pete area with a major storm. I think if they get hit by a storm, they'll get brushed by these one to threes, cat one to cat threes. To get a big storm up to Tampa would take a lot of work. Um, but I'm I'm more worried about Miami. They're much more vulnerable, especially since they've continued to expand south. And that means that there's more people in the firing range of a storm that might have missed them 40 years ago than there is right now. So I would say Miami is my biggest fear for a hurricane because there's nothing from the the way they're situated along the coast that is protecting them. It's just dumb luck that they haven't been hit by a really strong storm. Andrew is the classic case because Andrew could have just as well taken a little jog and gotten, you know, the bulk of Miami beach. It's um, that's, that's one town that is overdue sadly for a major catastrophe with a hurricane. I mean, I, li- I lived in, I lived on the East Coast for 30 years, and that place was booming then, and it's booming now. I mean, if Miami ever saw 
a Cat 5, one that's a little bigger than Andrew with more surge. I think the damage there would be... I don't think the damage would start with a 2. I think it would start with a 3. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And that whole area, it used to be, you know, you go south of Daytona Beach and there were a lot of just smaller towns along the coast. Now it's just, it's really built up all the way down along that side of Florida. Those are the areas that are most likely to get hit with a big storm. There's certain parts of the the east coast of Florida that are sort of a little protected. Uh, the storms, but but it's you know with a hurricane you never say never. But the way the storms come at certain parts of South Florida, uh, the east side of Florida, the storms tend to recurve and miss them to you know just stay barely off the coast and miss them, or they get you to the south or in Miami beach misses them. They usually hit the keys. So that's the big danger right now is I think South Florida, Miami beach, Miami. There's so many people there. There's so much development down that way. That would be my biggest fear with the hurricane season. All right, Dennis, thanks for hopping on. Uh, hopefully uh, we don't see any more hurricanes, tornadoes, like the uh, one, ones we saw last week because uh i saw the uh devastation of that deadly tornado in oxon i'm like i don't want any more deadly tornadoes or hurricanes for a while please now the fantasy professor my cohort on my uh, science of fantasy football podcast every week lives just north of little rock and he escaped just barely so uh we don't need any more severe weather down that way and uh, we've, of course, got our buddy Fantasy Moose out there uh, up near Cedar Rapids, and he was in the firing line the other day with, with tornadoes as well. So we would like the Midwest to settle down for a while. 